Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, we will hear about the peace Christ brings in regards to His resurrection. You're listening to The Spirit of Easter by Rev. Peter Yonker. So for my Easter message this morning, for our Easter service, uh, I'm going to uh, meditate on the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. And I'll be reading verses 19 through 23. So at home, if you want to get that ready, um, in a minute we'll read it. I I want to do some words of introduction before we get to the actual passage. I think we need to acknowledge uh, this morning that the thing that we hoped would not happen has happened. Here we are in Easter and the sanctuary is empty. During Lent, um, it was bad enough to not have everyone worshiping together, but at least during Lent, it sort of fit the, the spirit of the season. Uh, Lent is a season of self-sacrifice and, and a, uh, a season of giving things up. So the fact that church was empty and we were sacrificing is sort of fit. But that's not Easter. Easter is a day of celebration. Easter is a day where the church is full. Easter is a day where Larry opens up all the stops on the organ and we sing at the top of our lungs and the whole church shakes. Easter is a day when little girls in new pastel dresses come traipsing down the aisle for the children's sermon. Easter is a day where we glory in our alleluias and greet each other with joy and go home and eat a big dinner with all the people we love. And yet here we are sitting in front of our television, maybe looking at a computer, or maybe if you're really, really hard up, looking at your phone, your Easter joy walled in by this tiny little rectangle. It's suboptimal. What Bible passage do we go to on this strange day? Where do we turn to hear the good news of Easter on this unique Easter morning? How about John chapter 20? A day, very first Easter day, when the disciples were self-isolating. Listen to what happened to them on that first Easter day when they're self-isolating. And listen what happens to them that evening, the evening of Easter day. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed that they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this may be a strange Easter Sunday by the standards that we're used to, by the standards of full churches and organs. But when you listen to that story, you can make an argument That the Easter that we are experiencing today, the Easter that you're experiencing home alone, is closer to what the disciples went through that first Easter day than what we usually do in this full sanctuary. There were no loud organs on that first Easter. And there were no little girls in brand new dresses. 
there was a group of men locked in a room because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And that fear was legitimate. That fear was understandable. They had just seen their Lord and their leader, their very good friend, tortured and crucified. And they were worried that they were going to be next. They were worried that they were going to be next to be subpoenaed, to be brought in, and to be nailed to a cross. That was their immediate concern. But they weren't just afraid of those immediate things. They were afraid of long-term circumstances too. What would losing Jesus mean for their future going forward, even if they survived? What were they going to do after following this man for two years? Peter, James, and John could go back to fishing, I suppose. But would anyone want to do business with them after they'd been associated with this condemned man? Would anyone buy their fish in the marketplace? And Matthew, what was he going to do? He couldn't go back to tax collecting. He didn't want to go back, but he wasn't good for anything else. What was he supposed to do now? What did the future hold for him? And Simon the Zealot, he couldn't go back and hang with his radical zealot friends. He'd been hanging around with tax collectors. They wouldn't have anything to do with him anymore. So those guys, self-isolating up in that room, they had deep, real, long-term fears. And so do we. As you sit in the room where you're sitting, as we isolate during the week, we're worried about what this all means for us. We're scared of getting this disease. We're scared of our friends getting this disease. And we wonder, in the long term, what will it mean for our society? What will it mean for our culture? What will it mean for our economy? On that very first Easter Sunday, Jesus comes to those frightened disciples, isolated in their rooms, and he speaks to them. He gives them something. And I want to share with you three things that the risen Lord gives to his disciples on that day. And they're the same things he gives to you and he gives to me on this day. First thing Jesus gives is peace. John tells us, that the disciples are locked in the upper room because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. And I think that's right, but I think if you scratch the surface of that, if you dig under the surface of that fear, there is actually a deeper and more significant fear underneath that one. The disciples aren't actually afraid of the Jewish leaders themselves. What they're afraid of is what the Jewish leaders can do to them. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of that ancient human fear, death. That fear is at the center of so many of our fears, scratch the surface of so many of our ordinary fears that we walk around with from day to day, and death is right there just under the surface. That's certainly true of our coronavirus fears. We don't want this death, we don't want this disease to kill us. And even more poignantly, we don't want this disease to kill the people we love. So Jesus comes to the disciples and he comes to us with our fear of death and he says, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. And then to help anchor them in that peace, he gives them a visual aid. He shows them the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side, which would have been pretty ugly, terrible wounds. 
After all, he'd only received them just two days ago, right? So, so they would have been really nasty and really hard to look at. Now, how are these wounds of violence, how are they evidence of peace? How are the disciples supposed to get a sense of peace looking at these terrible wounds? I was thinking about that. Uh, sometimes we human beings uh, like to show each other our scars, our wounds. And I was thinking about the kinds of things we do and the kinds of things we say when we show each other our scars. So, for example, Grandpa had open-heart surgery 10 years ago, and his young grandkids find out that he'd had this surgery. And so they come to Grandpa and say, Grandpa, did, did they really cut you open? Did they cut your chest open and open up your ribs so they could look at your heart and your heart was beating and they fixed you right while your heart was open like that? Did they do that to you? And Grandpa says, oh yeah, they did it to me. You want to see the scar? That's something Grandpas would do. He lifts up his t-shirt and there it is, the train tracks of that terrible scar right down his chest. And the grandkids are, oh man, Grandpa, did that hurt? Did that hurt when they cut you open like that? And Grandpa says, oh yeah, it hurt. I cried when I woke up. Every breath I took hurt. But you know what? It's okay. I got through it. I'm okay now. There was a way through. So when we show each other our scars, one of the things we want to do is, is tell the story of how we got this wound, what happened to us to make us hurt. But the other thing we're trying to do is reassure other people. I'm okay now. I made it. There was a way through. You can imagine the disciples leaning forward as they look at Jesus' terrible wounds. Oh man, Jesus. Those are nasty. Did that hurt? Did that hurt when they did that to you? Wow, did it ever hurt? You heard me cry out from the cross, but it's okay. My father saved me. I made it. There's a way through. Death hurts, but it can't kill you. Jesus shows his scars to reassure the disciples in their fear. We will always be afraid of death. Some people talk as though Christians shouldn't be afraid of death or Christians aren't afraid of death. I don't believe that's true. I think death is a terrible thing and I think almost all the Christians I've ever known are afraid of death. If someone comes to you and tells you that you got six months to live, that's a frightening thing. And if someone comes to your family and says about someone you love that they have six months to live, that's even worse. That's terrifying. What Jesus wants to do is not completely get rid of our fear of death. I'm not sure that happens this size of heaven. What Jesus does is he wants us to think of our fear in a different way. He wants to change our fear of death as fear of an end to fear of an, as an enemy. When we belong to Jesus, we do not fear death as an end. We fear death as a beaten enemy. When people think death is an end, then their fear of death is all-consuming. When you think death is an end, you think that that's it. It's extinction. There's nothing after this life. I just cease to exist. And when that's what you believe and your life is threatened, you will do anything to survive. 
You will lie, cheat, steal. You will throw elbows. You will fight people for the life preservers. When things are going well, someone who thinks death is the end can be generous and can be friendly. But when the pressure is on, someone who thinks death is the end becomes desperate and will do things that human beings would ordinarily be ashamed of. But when Jesus shows us his wounds, he says to the disciples and to us, death is terrible, but it is not the end. Death is a defeated enemy. And when we know that, we can face terrible circumstances. We can face highly pressurized circumstances that we can stand up and we can be people of love and generosity and hope even in the face of our fears. Jesus comes to us in our isolation and he shows us his scars. Jesus, those are terrible. Did it hurt? Did it hurt to die? Yes, it did. It was terrible and it was frightening. But my father raised me. I'm alive. And when you belong to me, you shall live too. That's the first thing Jesus says to his disciples. He offers peace verbally. The second thing he does is that he actually breathes peace into his disciples. Did you notice that Jesus says, peace be with you twice in this passage? That shows you how determined he is to give peace to us and to his disciples. He, he says it two times because he really wants us to have peace right here at the center of our heart. The first time when he says peace, he shows his scars, like I just said. The second time when he offers peace, he breathes on them. I don't want to push this difference too much, but it's like he gives two forms of evidence. The first time when he shows his scars, it's like he's appealing to our brains, giving evidence for our brains. See, look, I was really dead, and now I'm really alive. That's evidence for our head. But when he breathes on us, it's like evidence for our heart. He wants to put the hope of the resurrection in our hearts, and so he breathes into it. Now I wonder, that, that act of breathing into the disciples that Jesus does here, does that remind you of anything else in the Bible? Can you think of another Bible story where God breathes into something to restore it, to bring it to life? Children, can you think of a Bible story? where God breathes on something and brings it to life, because I know your parents are having trouble remembering this. I'm thinking of the creation story, right? In Genesis, when God created human beings, you remember how he did that? He took some dust, and he breathed into it, and then it became a person. It became a human being. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here to the disciples, right? The disciples' hopes have turned to dust. And Jesus picks up those dusty hopes and he breathes on them, says, receive my Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit goes into them and he restores them, brings them to life, makes them new creations. When you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit has breathed on you. 
And the Holy Spirit has blown away the fear that is in your heart and replaced it with peace and made you a new creation. That doesn't mean you're never afraid anymore. There are lots of scary things in this world. I'm afraid of lots of things all the time. But what it does mean is that fear is not the center anymore. Fear is not at the middle. Peace is at the middle because Jesus breathed that there and that peace is growing and someday it will fill me and someday it will fill you from top to bottom. How do you live in that peace? How do you live every day knowing that that peace, the resurrection peace is at your center? Well, there are lots of ways you can do that. But here's something I've been doing lately. I, when I get up in the morning and when I start to get awake and I start to feel my fears, try to push in and take center place in my heart, when fear tries to become my center, here's what I do. I take a deep breath and then I blow it out. And I imagine Jesus breathing on me. And I breathe in his peace and I breathe out my fear. Peace be with you, he says. And I breathe in his peace and I breathe out his fear. And then I'm ready to face my day. It's just one thing that you too could do. That's the second thing that Jesus gives to his disciples. He shows them his wounds and gives them his peace. He breathes on them so the peace can be in their heart. But then the last thing he does, of course, is give them a mission. He breathes on them and says, as the Holy Spirit, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. He gives us a mission, and I think most of us know what that mission is. It's to go out into the world and tell people about the good news of Jesus. Death is beaten. Jesus is alive. There's a peace that can be at the center of your heart when you belong to Jesus. You've got to get to know Jesus. It's so wonderful to live in his hope. That's our mission. We, who are ministers and the staff at LaGrave, we feel that sense of mission very strongly. We live every single day thinking about how can we tell people about the good news of Jesus. And that's partly why we're a little bit sad that the church is so empty because when we say Jesus is risen, we, we love it when there's a whole bunch of people who can sing and say hallelujah and the trumpets sound and the organ plays. We want to have that message filled up by all the usual things. What we've learned over the last few weeks is that we have to say these hallelujahs and we have to do this mission in a new way. So we've made lots of phone calls to each other and to you, just checking up on you, seeing how you're doing, telling us, telling you that we're praying for you. We've learned to do things like Zoom meetings. We've learned to get on our computers and actually see each other, a whole bunch of each other, and talk to each other. And even people who hardly know anything about computers, people like Dave Buter, have learned somehow to do these things. A Easter miracle. And it's so good because even the, seeing each other in those little squares on the computer screen makes us realize how much we love each other. It makes us realize how much we want to see each other in the flesh. We've sent a lot of cards. I know a church member who buys a whole whack of stamps every week 
And every night she sends out five or six cards to people that God puts on her heart. Just keep sending them out. Keep sending out grace. The mission continues. The coronavirus can't stop that mission that Jesus started in the upper room with those disciples. I've heard over and over again, and I know all the staff has heard over and over again, just how much everybody loves all these little forms of contact and how much during these times we've learned to realize we love the church, we miss each other. This is so important to our lives. I've had people in tears as they tell me how much they wish they could come to church again. And that's made me realize that all these cards, all these calls, all these Zoom meetings are little alleluias. Small ways of saying Christ is risen. Small ways of standing up against the fear and saying to the world that the peace of the Lord is here. Family of Jesus, wherever you are right now, the risen Lord is standing there with you. He came right through your locked door, just like he did for those disciples. And he's standing there, and his arms are outstretched, and he says to you, peace be with you. I am alive. I have conquered sin and death, and you belong to me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Father, we praise you for sending your Son to this earth, for his humility and his sacrifice of even being willing to walk and live our life and feel the temptation that we feel and go through the struggle that we go through. But Lord, the wonder that he was willing not only to share our life, but share our death and then conquer that death, Lord, the miracle of this morning is the center of our hope. And we take refuge under it again. And we say, wherever we are, alleluia. Praise be to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.